morning online. If you're watching online, go ahead and type something. If you have a phone today, uh, will you go ahead and open up social media? I know, I can't believe I'm saying it myself. Open up social media and uh, share the stream to the church. How are y'all doing? Good, good. Happy Sunday. It's going to be a, a good day. Uh, today we are continuing our series called Because You Asked. And I provided to you when you walked in a form. It's a last call form for any questions that you may have. We'll continue this series maybe maybe another week or two. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I have a lot of good questions that I'm not answering today. These are good questions as well that I'm answering today, but there are even more for next week. Um, talking about really interesting things like Christmas and the Sabbath and all kinds of cool questions that you guys have asked. Um, but I would like to get more, give you an opportunity, because a lot has happened. We handed these forms out at the beginning of the year. A lot has happened in 2023. And you may now have some questions that you didn't have in the beginning of the year. So you will take that form, write out any question that you have, and uh, hopefully we'll answer it. We may answer it. We may not. We have more questions than we can answer, but I would still love to see what questions you are asking. Maybe your question is so big that it deserves its own series in 2024. So don't be offended if we didn't ask your question. It doesn't mean you asked a bad question, okay? So please take a moment to fill that in. Next weekend is baptism. All right. You guys are super quiet today. Can we get another round of coffee, please? One more. Good. Uh, baptism, we have a few people signed up for baptisms. If you've not yet been baptized, next week is your chance. You want to catch this one before the February one. Uh, so please sign up. The QR code is right here. It's going to be at Lake Pflugerville next Sunday at 3.30, which is a change because normally we do it at 5, but we thought we'll go when the sun is most happy. And so we'll go at 3.30 in the afternoon. Lake Pflugerville, you want to sign up today so we can get in touch with you and get you prepared for that. And then final housekeeping announcement. I hate opening with announcements, but this is too good to not share. The first Wednesday in November is Awaken. Every first Wednesday is Awaken. After Awaken at 7.30 is family night. And we have people come and we play board games and it's been lovely and wonderful and exciting and a great time to build connection. We're doing something different on November 1st. So the first Wednesday of November is November 1st. I want you to show up, bring your pumpkins. They should be on sale. And we're going to have a pumpkin, pumpkin carving contest out here as well as a chili cook-off. All right? Come on, somebody. Who likes chili? I love chili. I just made chili yesterday um, and it turned out okay turned out great. Uh, I made it for the ladies that are coming to my house tonight for my wife's Bible study. <laughs> and whew, I'm glad I was thinking. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yeah, I'll be, I'll be at the gym. I won't be, even be at the house. Um, but uh, I'll probably enter my chili as well and the chili cook-off and it'll be anonymous. So you won't have to feel bad, you know, like, oh, they're going to choose mine over pastors. No, they're not. They're going to choose mine over yours. So bring your chili 
Uh, bring your pumpkin. It's going to be awesome. And that's 7.30 to 9 p.m. November 1st. So the day after you celebrate with all the demonic activity, I want you to come to church and celebrate with us. Amen? All right, please stand to your feet. I believe that today is a good day. Today is a good day to renew my mind, encourage my soul, align with truth, and walk in faith. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. I thank you so much for your word. It is alive, it is breathing, and it is working in our lives. God, we give you full permission today to speak to every point of need in this room. Whether it's a topic that we're currently dealing with or not, Holy Spirit, you can just bring revelation and bring healing and bring miracles into our homes. We give you full permission to do whatever it is that you want to do today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say, amen. amen. Now, before you sit down, you got to high-five somebody, fist bump, and say, you can't handle the truth. And then you may be seated. All right, so we are, we are in a series called Because You Asked, and these, these are questions from you, by you. So if you don't like the topics, don't blame me. These are your questions. I'm giving you biblical answers to your questions. This is like the one time of year where you set the pace. So um, I will give some guidelines, I suppose, that you can trust in. And that is, this series is not about Trey's opinion. I have opinions about everything. And that doesn't mean my opinions are always good. And sometimes I'll share my opinions with you, but when you're asking a question about God's word, my opinion doesn't really help. God's word is the standard. God's word is the truth. So when you ask a question, I'll take us to scripture. And where scripture speaks plainly, we will agree to receive it. Okay? You may not agree to apply it. I'm not forcing you to live by it. I don't even care if you like it. But if Scripture says it, we're at least going to lay that as the foundation. Can I get a good amen from someone who wants to live in a world where there's truth? Amen. amen. Now, where Scripture doesn't speak plainly, I'll then go to the next level, and I will look for principles in Scripture. So maybe... Maybe the Bible doesn't use the word Halloween, for example. What are the principles in Scripture that might apply to Halloween? Now, no one's asked the question about Halloween, so don't worry. I'm not trying to ruin your celebration today. But that's what I would do. If the Bible doesn't specifically or explicitly state something, I'll go to the principles of the matter. All right? If there aren't really principles that we can form a conclusion on, then I might choose to share my opinion. I will let you know in advance if this is my opinion. But keep in mind that my opinion doesn't really matter. So I won't harp on that for very long. I'm going to very quickly tell you my opinion, why I think that way, why I believe that way, maybe why it could apply to the Bible or to principles. Um, but I really just want to dig into Scripture today. Is that all right? 
I've got, I think, six or seven questions that we're going to answer. Are you ready? Let's go. Question number one. When we die, are we asleep, quote, unquote, in the ground until Jesus comes back? Or do we immediately return to God in heaven? Okay. That's a good question. Whoever asked that question, that is a great question. There's actually debate on that issue uh, between very smart scholars. So no matter where you land on the issue, whether you go to heaven immediately or you're asleep in the ground, you have very smart people that back your opinion. All right. So I'm going to take you to scripture and tell you my opinion on the matter of scripture. All right. So I want to make sure that you understand if you disagree and can back it up with other scripture, bring it. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not trying to debate with you. All right. I'm just taking you to scripture on which I based my opinion. Do we all understand? All right. So the question is, um, when we die and they put us in the ground, are we just asleep or do we go to heaven immediately? Let's go to scripture. Second Corinthians chapter five. There are 10 verses here I want to glean from this morning. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, the tent is referring to the body. If our body is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, our body, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. There's some groaning today among us. Some of us feel some aches and pains of a body that is ready to be redeemed fully, right? This tent groans. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. I love that little phrase. He's given us the Spirit as a a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is a down payment on what's to come. So so God came to you. Jesus came to you and was like, hey, it's going to be awesome. I need you to believe me. And for you to believe me, I'm going to give some earnest money. And I'm going to leave you with Holy Spirit so that you can look forward to the day when we're together, okay? So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, physically away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Okay. So Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Oftentimes there's some confusion around this topic because in scripture we often see death referenced as sleep. They asked Jesus to heal 
the daughter, and Jairus' daughter, and he walks in in their morning, and she's dead, and he says, she's not dead, she's, she's sleeping. Or the tomb of Lazarus, he refers to Lazarus as sleeping, but guess what? He did. <laughs> and so people often will think, oh, well, if they're dead yet sleeping, then surely we just must be sleeping, like getting a nap. I mean, I like naps. Don't get me wrong. But I don't want a nap for 500 years before the resurrection. That's, that nap is, that's a massive nap hangover, in my opinion. So I, I stand with the fact that Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Philippians 1, 22 through, or 21 through 23, uh, Paul also says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So my death is gain. He doesn't say it's halftime. He doesn't say it's downtime. He doesn't say, oh, it's, that's your break. Let's take, a, let's take a rest. For me to die is gain. So in the blink of an eye, that last breath, Steph, in the last heartbeat that Trey Rose has, the very next moment is gain. In my opinion, I believe that Scripture backs that up. Now, Paul did say, uh, each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I think I'll address that in a little bit, but maybe we should understand the context from which Paul is speaking to us. There's a lot of dualism of the day, of his day at least. And dualism is where people uh, would separate the spirit and the body very consciously, meaning as long as I'm good with God, it doesn't really matter what I do with my body. I can mistreat my body. I can beat my body. I can, I can abuse my body. It doesn't matter because this flesh is going to die. And, and Paul is trying to marry the two, the body and the spirit. He's kind of refuting dualism when he says we're going to be judged for what we've done in the body. In other words, your body, your body matters, Okay. So the life that we live from now until death actually does matter. And it's, it's difficult, I think, to avoid holding an intermediate state. So when I die, I'm somewhere. Maybe I don't know where, but I'm somewhere, okay? This body is in the ground, decaying, turning to dust, or it's been cremated, and spread out in the ocean, but I've not yet been resurrected. So there is this gap. There is a, a delta between when Trey dies and when Trey resurrects. So there is an intermediate state. Can we see that? Can you visually see? There's an unaccounted for period of time where my body is not in alignment with my spirit man. The question is, where is the spirit in the intermediate state? Is it asleep or in heaven? I don't know of a time on earth while Trey's alive that my spirit takes a nap. This is good news for all of you that have nightmares. Because you can be playing scripture while you sleep. You can be playing worship music while you sleep. And even though your body is asleep, your spirit man is not. You can build up the spirit man inside of you. Why? Because your spirit man does not sleep. 
The spiritual warfare that you can't see never calls a time out. You know, there's never a, a ding of the bell and every man to his corner and they get the water bottle squirted and the coach pat in the forehead. That doesn't happen in the spirit realm. 24-7, there's spiritual warfare that tells us that your spirit never sleeps. So if your spirit never sleeps while you're alive, why would your spirit suddenly need to sleep when your body is dead? Your body is not keeping your spirit alive. Your spirit keeps your body alive. Your body dies when your spirit departs, by the way. <laughs> Did you know that? When your spirit is gone, your body departs. So I'm going to settle that question, at least in my own mind. Are we content with the answer, when I die, I go to heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, I will have a spiritual body in heaven, I won't get my glorified body until the resurrection. At the resurrection, God will raise up those who are dying. I, I happen to believe that my generation will see the return of Jesus Christ, by the way. So many of us in the room will not die before the return of Jesus, in my opinion. Uh, that's, I wish someone would ask an end times question because I'm just dying to go there. But I know that's not the question. But if I were to die and be in heaven, I would just be a spirit. Now, I would not be like Casper, an undefined, see-through spirit. It would be a very real experience. I would be able to feel and to touch and to see and to think and all of, all of the good things. But when my body is resurrected, then my glorified body will be matched again with my spirit. Make sense? Uh, someone did, I think this is a tangential question. Someone has asked, is it okay to uh, cremate someone because you're going to be resurrected? And how does that work if you just scatter the ashes all over the ocean and the dolphin eats half of it or the whale gets the knee? You know, I, I don't know how that all works. That They've been asking me that question. I've, asked, I've heard that question multiple times. Here's my response, and it's simple. Um, if we believe in a God that can resurrect a body from bones, I believe in a God that can call every particle from the depths of the sea back to where it needs to be. So if your loved one has been cremated or you prefer to be cremated, I don't see anything in Scripture that prevents that. So anyway, that was extra question. Let's go to question number two. Question number two, what will it look like in heaven when we answer for our sins? Oh. Woo! Does that question just kind of give you a little bit of goosebumps? Like, uh, can we not think about that one? Well, I can tell you that we know that every idle thought that we have is known by heaven. Every meaningless word Every uh and um is recorded in the ledgers of heaven. That's scary. Ooh, I think of what Paul said in Hebrews 10. When he said the Lord will judge his people, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I said Paul, but for those of you that want to call me on that, it's not verified that Paul wrote Hebrews. I just believe that he did. It also could have been Luke. It could have been Barnabas. But if you think it was one of those, that's fine. 
no harm, no foul. I just, Paul wrote everything else, why not? Why not Hebrews? It, it, it doesn't close like Paul, but it sounds a little more educated than Paul. So maybe, maybe it was Luke, I don't know, but I'll just go with Paul in Hebrews. Uh, Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says, what a fearful thing it is to fall into the hands of a living God. And I kind of wish I'd never read that verse, to be honest. Because there are moments where my, my thoughts get off, or my actions, or behavior, or I treat someone poorly, or I get, you know, I cut someone off, and they flip me off, and then I, well, whatever. <laughs> and then I think, what a fearful thing it is to fall into the hands of a living God. And so this question, what will it look like in heaven when we answer for our sins? I would suggest that it's not going to be pretty. Except there's this one little tiny detail called the blood of Jesus. (laughs) The blood of Jesus that covers us from all sin. Psalm 103 12 says, as far as east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That just takes a weight off my shoulders today because I know what I've done. I I know you came in here looking all pretty and put together and righteous, but I know you bad too. And the blood of Jesus takes our sin, balls it up, and and throws it as far as the east is from the west. Now, the critic in the room is like, east and west is only a quarter of an inch difference. right? He's saying as far as the eye can see east to the west, when we are hidden in Jesus, our sin is covered by him. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to clean, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when I stand before the throne, to my best estimation, from what I understand in scripture, because I have put my faith in Jesus Christ, when I stand before the throne, he's not actually going to see Trey and my sin. He's going to see Jesus, his son. He's going to see that I have been bought at a precious price. And that is good news for us today. Question number three. What happens to the Jews that don't accept Jesus but still revere God? That's a good question. What happens to the Jews that serve the one true God? By the way, I hope that we are all at a point. Let me back up. doesn't matter if you're here or not, actually. Let me just make a statement. Not every religion that has a title for God means they serve the same God. Okay? Um, There is a, a dangerous move of culture to make you believe that that any religion that is serving a higher power means that they are pointing to Yahweh. And that's actually not true. I can give the name Allah 
But that doesn't mean that Allah is Yahweh. In fact, more than half of the attributes given to Allah support more the identity of Lucifer than to Yahweh. So just because someone says God, I, tangent, I, I worked for a witch before. And not, I'm not being mean, she was a Wiccan witch. And she was my boss for three years, wonderful lady. We got along great. There was just this little thing between us. She worshiped Mother Earth. Mother Earth was God. And so her reference to God, she might at times even sound righteous and holy. But we were serving the same God. And so you have to put yourself in that framework and understand not everyone who says God means the God that you serve. Now back to the question. The question was, what happens to the Jews that don't accept Jesus but still revere God? The Jewish religious system reveres Yahweh. The God of the Jews is the God of the Bible. All right? So we need to clear that up, make sure we all understand that they do serve God. But to answer this question fully, I have to ask the question first, how are we saved? How are we saved? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for you have been saved by grace through faith. All right, You were saved when you put your faith in Jesus, and it was by grace, by nothing that you did. God didn't want you walking out of that encounter, being able to boast and to brag and act like you were just so worthy of eternity, right? You were saved by grace. You've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, how are the Jews saved. Today, how are the Jews saved? If you saw a Jew at Chipotle and they said, I serve God. And you say, you need Jesus. And they said, okay, give him to me. How would they get saved? Come on, this is not a trick question. I know. I, I trick you guys so often, and I make you look dumb sometimes, just to get my point. This is not a trick question. Jews are saved the same way you are saved. Jews and Gentiles, that's circumcised and uncircumcised, get saved by putting their faith in Jesus Christ. All right? So a Jew who serves God, goes through the ritual of serving God, is not saved with eternal life unless they have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 3, 28, 30 backs that up. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised, which is Jews, by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith. The salvation model has always been by faith. It has never been through the law. It was actually never God's intent to use the law to save the Jews. They just thought that it was. 
They went through the ritual and the tradition thinking, I'm pleasing God, that's how I'm getting saved. They've always been saved by faith in Jesus. Jesus just hadn't come yet. They were looking forward to Jesus, just like you are now looking back at Jesus. Is this, is this settling right? Or am I shaking up the snow globe too much? Do you understand what I'm saying? The Jews of the Old Testament were saved by faith. Now, I'll prove it to you. Abraham was saved. He was justified by faith. Romans 4, 2, 3 says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has, nothing, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So it was faith in God that saved the Jews then. It is faith in God and Jesus that saves them now. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me, comes to the Father, except through me. So, Jews serve God. They honor God through tradition. But un unfortunately, it's like they're knocking on a window to get into the house, and they need to go through the door. They can peer in through the window to see where they need to be. But they don't yet realize Jesus is the door. Brings me to another question that's similar to this, and I think based on that information, you could probably answer this yourself. It says, Jeffrey Dahmer was a murderer, yet claimed to be a Christian and showed regret for what he did. But Stan Lee, Stan Lee never said he was a Christian. What answer will we give people when they ask, so someone like Jeffrey gets to go to heaven, but Stan Lee doesn't? That's a good question. It's a fair question. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, I pulled from Wikipedia, in case you haven't heard of him. He was known as the Milwaukee Cannibal or the Milwaukee Monster. He was an American serial killer and sex offender who killed and dismembered 17 males between 1978 and 1991. Uh, involved cannibalism and all kinds of disgusting stuff. That's Jeffrey Dahmer. And then Stan Lee... For those that don't know Stan Lee, Stan Lee was an American comic book writer, editor, publisher, and producer. He rose through the ranks of a family-run business called Timely Comics, which would later become Marvel Comics. Now, I'm assuming the person that asked this question really likes superhero movies, and they really look up to Stan Lee. All right, so th the question is the same. We can apply Stan Lee and Jeffrey Dahmer to this question about the Jews. We are saved by grace through faith, not of our works. If Jeffrey Dahmer, as hideous of a man that he was, finds himself at the foot of the cross, I can guarantee this. His crime is not more powerful than the blood of Jesus. So it is quite possible that a Hitler... Worst person of all time. Whoever it is that in your mind is someone that is just unforgivable, that you just know that they're going to rot in hell. 
We don't know their final moments. We don't know their final breath. And so it is possible that someone like Jeffrey Dahmer could go to heaven, and they want to know, how do I justify that to people? To me, that's good news. That's good news because I've not killed 17 men and eaten them. And if I've not done what Jeffrey's done, and God can save Jeffrey, then he can save me too. I hope I answered that question. That was a fun question. Kind of gross, but fun. All right, next question. Do we have time for a few more? All right, I'll move quicker. Will we see our family that passed away before us in heaven? Let's do a show of hands. How many of you say, yes, we will see our family in heaven? Good, good, good. All right. Uh, hands down. How many of you say, not probable, we probably won't see our family in heaven? Okay, several of you. Some. Okay, good, good. There's a little trick part to that. There is a requirement. Some of them are like, no, I know they ain't going. I already know they already done. They are done. They ain't even died and stick a fork in them. They're done. Yeah, some people know their family well. Um, heaven requires salvation. God is a good God, and he is a loving God, and Oh man, he just receives and embraces all who come to him, but still they have to come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that none should perish, but all should have eternal life. It is God's will that none should perish. But that doesn't mean that people don't perish. People perish because they refuse the gift of salvation. John 3, 3 Jesus answered, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, let's suppose that your family knew Jesus, okay? Um, we're not talking about how well they were a Christian or how their, the fruit on the tree looked like a Christian, but you just... You believe, and they said that they are a believer, so where, where are they? Are you going to see them? Uh, Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians that we see now through a glass dimly. In fact, I'll read that verse to you, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. He says, we shall fully know and be fully known. The last phrase, I shall know just as I am also known, would seem to indicate that we shall know others in the manner that we knew them on earth. But we're going to know them fully. Oh, that's going to be so beautiful. Because there are loved ones that have gone to heaven that have had massive issues. Manipulation, control, anger, addiction, whatever it is, the people that you've lost and you, you mourned their loss, but there was such tragedy in the relationship dynamic. When you get to heaven and you see them face to face, you're going to see them and they're going to be fully known by you and you're going to be fully known by them. And there's going to be this instant understanding, this instant acceptance and approval and both of you are going to be fully whole. 
No one is going to have to get to heaven and try to fix a relationship that ended badly on earth. Isn't that beautiful? You lost someone before you could apologize. It's okay. The moment you see them in heaven, you don't even need to apologize. You're instantly going to be close. You're going to be fully known, and they are going to be fully known. So I know that Paul was transported and caught up to paradise and saw exactly what it's going to be like. Uh, He saw things that no one is permitted to tell. You can read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. So we can be actually 100% convinced of what Paul says about heaven because he's not just reporting on inspiration. He's reporting on experience. He's not a travel guide that just learned from the brochure. He actually visited and then came back. Um, We know in Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus is telling a story, and I'll just paraphrase it. You should go and read this, though. It's a fascinating story. Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. Jesus is telling a story about a rich man who's, who's arrayed in fine clothing. And there's a man named Lazarus. Not the Lazarus that's raised from the dead. Another man. This one is a poor guy. He's sitting, asking for alms by the city gate. Both of them die. And the man that was poor, asking for alms, ends up in Abraham's bosom, another phrase for paradise. And then uh, Lazarus, no, 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 Lazarus was the poor man. The rich man ended up in Hades, so hell. And Jesus says there's a big chasm between the two, and they're peering over, and they're talking, okay? And the man that's in Hades, the rich man, he says, can you have Lazarus just dip his finger in water and Touch it on my tongue. My, I'm, I'm hot. I'm thirsty. And Abraham says, no, that can't happen. There's a, there's a chasm. You can't go from here to there. So basically, once you die, your eternity is set. You don't get to be prayed out of purgatory. You don't get to be prayed out of hell. We don't get to have services and ceremonies and chants and vigils, and hopefully God will be good to you. The moment you take your last breath, it is finished. There is a chasm. You can't go from here to there. And so the man that's in Haiti says, well, can you please send someone, send an angel, send someone to my five brothers. Go to my dad's house. I've got five brothers. I don't want them to experience this torment. Okay, so here's what we learn from this story that Jesus just told. We learn that you can't jump bases. You can't go from here to there after you die. You need to make that decision today. But we also learn that Even in the afterlife, we recognize people. We remember our family that's still alive. We know the state and the condition of our family that's still alive. He knew that his five brothers needed to be rescued. And so that gives us hope that when you get to heaven, you're going to know the people. You're going to know your family. You won't be married, by the way. You won't have your wife, your husband. You won't be married we're all going to be married to Jesus. We're going to, it's a new family dynamic. We're brothers and sisters. We're co-heirs when we get to heaven, okay? Um, but you're still going to have that familiarity and that closeness with your spouse. Carrie and I have already decided that when we get to heaven, we're going to go hiking together. We're going to explore the mountains. We're going to like swim under the water and find... She loves to walk along the seashore and find all the seashells. We're going to do that together. She actually will spend probably three eternities doing that. At some point, I'm going to tap out. 
to go see what my friends are doing, but I'll come back and, and she'll still be there. I, I will have a closeness to Carrie in eternity. We're just not going to be married. We, there will be a fondness and an understanding and a, a life that we've lived together. Does that make sense? One of the greatest tragedies, I think, as a pastor is when I was leading someone into their eternity, they had days to live, hours to live, but they were very coherent, and we were talking the Bible, and I was praying over them, and her husband had already gone to be with the Lord, and uh, I just started talking about heaven and how awesome heaven is and how you get to do whatever it is that you want. You get to fly. You get to walk through walls. You get to go underwater and have your breath, and you get to eat the best fish you've ever ever tasted, and you get to do rock climbing, and I, I'm just going on and on, and she's smiling, and I'm talking about how she's going to get to hang out with her husband. They were just, they loved the Lord. They were so faithful to the Lord, and finally she looks at me, or I said, are you excited about that? And she just smiles. She's been so gracious to me, and she says, well, I believe that heaven is just like a bunch of colors everywhere, and everything is fuzzy, and there's Nothing really that you can feel or touch or see. And I don't think I'll see my husband. But I'll know deep down that he's somewhere around. And my heart just sank for her. And of course, I didn't try to correct her. You don't correct a dying woman who thinks that that's her idea of heaven. But I thought, man, in just a few hours, she's going to have such a beautiful surprise waiting. When she steps from earth to glory, and she's greeted by her husband and her friends and the family that's gone on, before her. So will we know? Yes, we will. Oh, let me push off a couple questions next week. Is it wrong to ask for blessings? No, it's not. Nope, not at all. Do it. Ask. You're more likely to get an answer if you ask according to his will. His will is for you to prosper and be in good health. His will is for you to have food on the table. His will is for you to have your bills paid, for your relationships to be restored. If you want to read, I won't, I won't go into detail, but we'll just check this question off. If you want to read more about praying for blessing, read the prayer of Jabez in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9-10. through 10. It says that Jabez... Uh, called upon God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, that your hand might be with me, that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. So Jabez prayed for blessing and God granted it. I would rather pray for blessing and not find it than not pray for it and not be available for it. So pray for blessing. I will just throw this on for good measure. Watch your motive when you're play, praying for blessing. The number two motives, the top two motives for praying for blessing that hinders our prayer is greed. If you are just lusting for that Trans Am, that Corvette, that Tesla, whatever that thing is, and you're praying for more resource because of that thing, that you want. I don't think that's a wise prayer. Um, so greed will hinder our prayer. But also the other thing is worry. If you're, if you're praying for provision, but the root of it is worry, you're not praying God's will for your life. Your prayer, you should be praying from a place of trust 
in faith. God, I thank you that you're bringing me a job. God, I thank you that you're bringing me increase. I thank you that we're having more leftovers to go throughout the week. Like, pray from a place of trusting God rather than, oh God, you better show up. Two totally different prayers. I think you'll see better results and have way more peace if you just pray from a place of trust. All right, next question. What are the duties of a man and woman? Is this a trick? Did you write this? I'm going to push that to next week. I'm going to push that to next week. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this. I think that one is a great question. Whoever asked that, good one. Real good. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I will, give you, I will give you a wonderful, very concise, clear answer. Biblically based answer next week. Um, but let's just jump to this final question. I'm going to get my wife to come up and help me with this one. This question is, how do you know you have fully forgiven someone? Woo-hoo! That's a good one. How do you know that you have fully forgiven someone? What do you think, Carrie? Well, I had a conversation with someone about this this past week, actually. Um, First of all, choosing to forgive someone and knowing that you've forgiven someone is not based on how you feel. Um, You choose to forgive them, and then you allow the Holy Spirit to bring healing to your heart. Like, you can't heal your own heart. Only he can. And so um, this past week I was talking to someone and they said, you know, this happened with this person that's close to me in my life. And I thought that I had already forgiven them, but it really hurt me. And in that conversation, um, I was able to help bring some clarity because sometimes there are people in our lives that are related to us that we can't really fully guard our hearts from right? Because we've chosen to still stay in relationship with them. Um, There's such a thing as someone, maybe a stranger or someone that's hurt you and you can guard your heart, you can distance yourself. But sometimes when it's someone that's related to you, it's more difficult to distance yourself. You can still guard your heart, but it looks a little different. And so what, what could be happening is that person could continue to bring some pain to your life. And that's what had happened in this instant where they had forgiven this person for past things, and this was a relative, but something was said or something was done that was hurtful, and so when it stung, they thought, oh, I haven't forgiven them for these past things. Well, no, they they may have forgiven them for this past thing, but this is a new thing. And so there are times where you have to repeatedly forgive um, based on the relationship that you have with someone And so I think it's important that we recognize that and um, allow the Holy Spirit to continue to do a work in that relationship, in our hearts. Um, One of the indicators for me, if I've fully forgiven someone, is if when I think about the situation or I think about that person, do I feel a sting, a little pain in my heart? Does something just um, prick my heart in a way that I go, ooh, that still hurts? If it does, that's an indicator that God is still working this out inside of me. 
But what I have to do is I have to make certain choices to allow the Holy Spirit to bring healing and to bring that full forgiveness. So, you know, Jesus, I always go back to the cross because when he was on the cross, what, was, what did he do when he forgave? He chose to forgive. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Was he in pain in that moment? Oh, he was in excruciating pain. So he didn't wait till the pain was gone. He didn't wait till he was over it to forgive. He chose in that moment, in his pain, to forgive. And I think, I believe that when we do that, there's so much healing that comes um, from choosing to forgive right in the middle of our pain. Does that mean that I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm not going to feel pain or feel hurt from the situation? No, you might still feel some of that pain, some of that hurt, but when we choose to forgive, and sometimes, like I said, it's over and over and over again, we allow the Holy Spirit to step in, bring healing to our hearts, and work on that situation on our behalf. Yeah, I think that's really good. I heard the most ridiculous definition of forgiveness years ago. I they said it, and I was like, oh, that's really wise. But I thought about it, and I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. They said, forgiveness is, what'd they say? They said, forgiveness is moving beyond the pain and opening up your heart to be hurt again by them. And I thought, wow, that's powerful. But that's stupid as heck. That ain't true. That ain't true at all. I forgive. I forgive the person that molested me as a kid. But I sure as heck am not putting my grandchildren in his care. I'm not going to open myself up to be hurt by him again. So I think we have to look at forgiveness too as with wisdom that says forgiveness is me not placing judgment on you me not holding the strings, holding it against you, but also realizing that sometimes someone's sin against me requires consequences, requires to be reported to the police. Like forgiveness doesn't mean that you get to go murder someone or murder my kid or abuse my kid or abuse someone in this church and we're just going to forget about it. You're going to jail. Like, so I think, I think we have to differentiate too between that. Forgiveness is not this blanket, do whatever you yes. want, come abuse me, I'm a, I'm a Nancy. But at the yeah. same time, yes. we, have this, we have this um, culture that says, you hurt me, I have nothing to do with you anymore. Co okay, yes. And so I think as believers and brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to forgive one another. Yes. And those people in our lives that, like you and I, are still working out our relationship with the Lord, still allowing the Lord to bring change to our hearts and lives, we have to be okay with our brother and sister sometimes hurting us, sometimes causing some pain or discomfort, our family members sometimes hurting us, and allowing that relationship to still continue to grow because we're choosing to forgive. Mm -hmm. So like Pastor Trey said, there are two very separate instances where you have to guard your heart completely and distance yourself. What I've been seeing more and more and more is, you hurt me, I have nothing to do with you that's anymore. That's stupid. And that's not forgiveness. No. I choose to forgive you, but I don't want you in my life anymore. 
that's not forgiveness. Right. Um, but again, something like that, like abuse, those kinds of things, yes. They go to jail. You know, um, there needs to be distance there. There needs to be wisdom there. And so that's where you really have to just really pray, ask Holy Spirit what he is asking of you. Um, I have I have a family member in my life that has the potential to hurt me over and over and over again. It's not me. And you know, <laughs> well, you do have that. Potential. I have the potential. You know? I just don't. <laughs> you do, but but I choose to keep that relationship open and love that person because I see where they are in their walk, and I know that God has given me the grace to be able to do that, and um, so I choose to forgive on a regular basis. And I have had to over and over and over again. And it's because I know what he has done for me and I'm a forgiving person. And regardless of what you do to me or someone else does to me, I'm going to stay true to who I am, who the Lord has called me to be. And I'm going to continue to forgive and continue to love, even if it's not reciprocated. Okay, can I add something? Yes. Can I say something? And you tell me if I'm wrong. I think sometimes we don't, know how to forgive people because we've not yet learned the first lesson, which is how to live unoffendably. We get offended at so many stupid, ridiculous things. I've just seen the pettiest things that people get offended at. And because you don't know how to tell when real offense should take place, you can't manage anger righteously because everything makes you mad. Anytime someone does something you don't like, anytime someone says something. So I think, number one, if we're having a hard time forgiving people, we have to check ourselves and make sure that we're actually living unoffendably. And then once I'm living unoffendably, is this something that even needs forgiving? All right, anyway, we're out of time. Do you want to pray for us? Right in the room, since we're on this topic, if you're here and and you just sense that you need Holy Spirit to step into the area of forgiveness in your life. In dealing with a spouse, a child, a grandchild, IRS, whatever it is, stranger. Yeah, right. Will you just stand to your feet? Carrie's just going to pray a prayer over us. God is just going to grace us in this moment. He's going to give us clarity to see through his eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just thank you, God. You are such a good and loving God. Thank you, Jesus. And I just sense your presence so sweetly in this room, God. Yes, Lord. You are so forgiving, Father, of people that just don't deserve your forgiveness over and over and over again. You forgive your people. You are so merciful. And so, Father, because you are such a forgiving God, we can forgive, Lord. And I'm so grateful, Lord Jesus, that we have you as the example. And God, I pray for every person in this room that is standing up right now. And I, I sense that you're telling me there are some sitting down that are refusing to stand. Yes, Lord. And that's okay. Because God, you don't ever force anyone to forgive. Because you are just that kind of God. But I just pray that even those that are sitting that are struggling, Lord, that you just begin to soften their hearts. Yes, Lord. That they would begin to see you. And, be, and when they look at you, Father, that they would have the courage and the strength that they need to forgive. God, I pray for those that are standing, that you will just touch their hearts right now in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father, that you are such a forgiving 
forgiving father. And so God, we just pray that you would just, um, that you would give wisdom, God, in every relationship and every situation, that you would just pour out your wisdom on us, God, that you would show us what you would have us to do, how you'd have us to respond, how you'd have us to be quiet. God, whatever that needs to look like, Father, I just pray that you would just pour in your healing oil into our hearts. And God, that we would just choose to forgive and allow you, Holy Spirit, to do a work that only you can do in our hearts, God. We thank you that you intervene in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We all just stand to your feet this morning. Can we just celebrate what the Lord is doing in our church? Come on. Awesome. Awesome. Don't forget baptisms are next Sunday, 3.30 p.m. Please sign up today. And also, what else? First Wednesday, first Wednesday of November. November 1st is family night. Bring a pumpkin. We're going to have a pumpkin carving contest. Don't carve it at home. Bring it here. Do it here. You little cheater. And also bring your chili. We're going to have a chili contest. We'll see you next Sunday and take what you received in here and give it to someone out there. We love you.